Let's pray together, church. And so, Father, we long for the day when we can join with the seraphim and declare and cry, holy, holy, holy is the Lord Almighty. The whole earth is full of his glory. Teach us more about your glory, God. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'd be remiss if I did not just take a moment to say congratulations to all of our graduating college students last year, or last week, rather, we celebrated our high school students, uh, but I know that we have many among us who have completed either an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree, or maybe you're a family member of somebody who has completed an undergraduate degree or a graduate degree, and I'm just going to ask you, I don't want to embarrass you, but I'm going to ask you and embarrass you anyway, if you will stand up, if you're one of those, if you've uh, received a graduate degree or undergraduate degree, or if you are a family member that can stand in proxy for someone who has, and let's give these families a round of applause. And thank you. Awesome. Very awesome. You may be seated. Um, let me also express my appreciation to the mothers here today uh, for all that you've done. Uh, Mom, if you're watching, happy Mother's Day. I haven't had a chance to call you yet, but I will. And i um, so grateful. Sunday's a little, little, little tough for me to call in the morning, but uh, so grateful for our moms. And uh, my bride is actually home with a sick child today, and that's just what mothers do, right? And so, so grateful for our moms and the ways that you show up and show us the ways of the kingdom. Uh, to those who have experienced uh, the loss of a mother, as Morgan shared a few moments ago, or long to be a mother, have a relationship that you wish was different with your mother, uh, we see you. Uh, we're grateful for you. We're grateful that you're a vital part of the collective story that God is writing in our narrative. Uh, as one of your ministers and on behalf of our leadership, uh, every year on Mother's Day, we just offer a small gift uh, for you on your way out. And this is not just for moms, this is for all of our ladies. So there's a table in the foyer that has uh, some journal books that you can grab. There's also a prayer book uh, that's uh, written by Max Licato and his daughter, Andrea Licato. Uh, and we ask that you just choose one of those on your way out uh, so that everybody who would like one can have one. Uh, but that's our gift to you today. And so I would encourage you to grab one of those as you leave today. Uh, what a blessing uh, to join with seven families today, to dedicate our children to the Lord and to take seriously the charge, not just to parents, but the charge to us as a church body. I so appreciate our student minister, Justin Peach, and our children's minister, Morgan Airy, and, and all that they do in order to help guide us and equip us and point us along life's path. Uh, in a week where there has been much to say about the unborn, I have no interest in making a political statement this morning, but I pray that we'll be a church who lives out our confession. Regardless of whether or not laws change, I pray that we continue to live the law of Christ, which is love. Paul says, whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. Uh, when I realized as a high school student that there was kids that were 10 years younger than me, watching me, had their eyes on me. And when I realized there was adults 20 and 30 and 40 and 50 years older than me, watching me, praying for me, investing in me, this was a game changer. 
And I pray that we will take seriously and never underestimate your significance in the lives of our children. Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, I invite you to pull those out as we continue our series, our study on the book of Hebrews. Uh, we are not quite landing the plane, but we are getting to that place here in the next couple weeks. And I'm excited. Next week, Dr. John Mark Hicks from Lipscomb University will be here preaching on the second part of Hebrews chapter 10. Today, I'm going to do my best to give us a word from the first half of Hebrews chapter 10. And so as you're turning there, I want to encourage us uh, to have our eyes and ears open to what God has to say to us today. Uh, last week and this week, we're in a section that is talking about and discussing, really, it's, it's a sermon within a sermon, and it's chapters 8 through 10, uh, where the, the writer or the preacher, you'll, you'll hear me refer to him as, because uh, this is kind of like a sermon flow, uh, is really talking about Jesus as the better and the greater sacrifice. And what the writer or the author or the preacher is trying to do, trying to explain how this, this achievement of Jesus, what, which we're going to, to remember in just a moment, brings about the new covenant in which the forgiveness of sins was the central promise. And so I want us to back up just a few chapters, Hebrews chapter 7, verse 25. So if you're in 10 and you want to flip back to chapter 7, verse 25, this is what the Word says, Therefore He, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him because he always lives to intercede for them. Yesterday during the 148th Kentucky Derby against 80 to one odds, Rich Strike, rowed by Sonny Leone, won the Kentucky Derby. No one has one against those type of odds, 80 to 1, since the year 1913. Why am I telling you this? It's an unbelievable victory that some people would say. It's, it's, it's unbelievable that if you just watch the race, how this horse and jockey came back. But it's over. <laughs> and they'll gather back again next year. Lord willing to do it again, or Lord not willing, they'll, they'll gather back in that next year. So you take your fancy hat and you put it in your, your closet for another year, and then you'll grab your fancy hat if you're a Kentucky Derby person, and you'll bring it back out again next year. There's something unmatchless and significant that Jesus accomplished by his death, burial, and resurrection. Yet that same Jesus that same Christ who is victorious has not sat down and crossed his arms and passively waiting for you to one day make it to heaven. And this is what the author is going to talk about, that this is, this is the, the one who is continuing to intercede and this is the one who has paid once for all that accomplishment. When he accomplished salvation for those who come to God through him and intercedes for your guilt and your sin, it wasn't just something that he has done but is something that he still intercedes on our behalf today. And this, this is good news. Through Christ, God has accomplished something in the past, but he is still at work in the present interceding. And so the writer, the preacher is calling the church to live out their confession. Don't be lazy in your faith. Move toward maturity. Go beyond these elementary teachings. Our mission here at Homewood is to, to make and grow followers of Jesus. We want to help you grow. 
We want to point one another to the way, the way being Jesus. And so when you look out here in our foyer and you see seven next steps on the wall, that's not just some religious system that we've come up with. It's, it's not just some crafty marketing scheme that we've come up with. Now, these are actual next steps that each of us are called to. We are all involved in a process. We are all on our way. We are all invited to a next step. So if you've become lazy in your faith, if you've drifted, if you've fallen off the path, we want to challenge you to grow up. We want to challenge you to take the next step. We want to challenge you to keep moving this growth track for us as we follow Christ. So we get to Hebrews chapter 10. A long introduction that I could have made a lot longer. But Hebrews chapter 10, verse 1. The law is only a shadow of the good things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, verse 2, would they not have stopped before being offered? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once for all and would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. In short, what the, the writer, what the author is saying is that the sacrifices of the old covenant may ritually cleanse the surface but people are still left with a guilty conscience. And so in our Old Testaments, this word in the Hebrew, a shem, just means guilty or, or a guilt offering. And it points to the idea of guilt, not as an act, but as a relational concept. So in her book, Let Go of Guilt, author Valerie Burton says that guilt is about the relationship between parties. Whereas individual sin is seen as an act of personal failure, guilt is the indebtedness that results from the breach in relationship that such acts cause. I mean, we understand guilt, don't we? Right, we get guilt. Guilt shows up in many ways in our lives. Beating yourself up for past choices, past mistakes, and imperfections. Anybody resonate with that one? Feeling as though you can never do enough. I mean, this is ministry 101 that ministers are, are often find. I know we're, we're not the only ones, but often we're, we're just compelled to, to think, man, there's just one more card, one more hospital visit, one more person that we can reach out to, one more, one more, one. And, and, and there's some healthiness to that, but there's also some guilt that can come along with that. So this morning, I, I, I woke up an, an hour before I usually wake up on Sunday mornings. And I just began praying over every member of this church. I have every member's name on my phone. And I just went through name after name after name. And, and what ends up happening as I do that is I end up praying for certain situations because as I see a name, then certain situations pop into my head of things that I know about this faith family. Uh, and so if, if you're not a member, I would encourage you to, to, to consider that so, that so that I can pray for you. There I go making y'all feel guilty about not being members. But I want 
to, to remind you, this is, this is what I'm, I'm doing. I'm, I'm just I'm remembering these names. And I'm going through and I'm thinking, oh, man, I haven't, haven't seen that person lately at, at church. I, haven't, I wonder what's going on with their family. I wonder what's going on with that diagnosis. I wonder how, how that person is, is feeling. I wonder, you know, and it's just all of these things. And it's just, if I'm not careful, this, this wave of guilt just comes over me because I feel so, so behind in caring for the flock and the family. We know about guilt, feeling stressed, resentful, devalued in your relationships, saying yes when the best answer is no, allowing others to guilt trip you. Anybody been there? Second guessing yourself, eating habits, money habits, parenting shortcomings. This was beautiful what, what Steve Castleman you know, shared and charged our, our, our parents with. But guess what? You're going to have shortcomings. You're going to miss the mark. These things can cause us guilt. Sometimes guilt can help us move to a healthier place, which is not always a bad thing. Yet often guilt can cause us to stay in an unhealthy place because the enemy uses guilt to accuse us. So Burton says that there's false guilt and then there's authentic guilt. Sometimes we feel guilty for things that we shouldn't feel guilty about. That's false guilt. On the other hand, sometimes we are wrong. Sometimes authentic guilt comes up. And the only way to let go of authentic guilt is to have enough humility, courage, and integrity to confront it. So Burton goes on to say, when we address guilt with truth, we are free to embrace the changes we need to make in our own lives, to align our values with our everyday actions and begin the work of forgiveness that frees us. This is how biblically that Burton coaches people through their guilt. The six A's, she, she calls them, that we admit it, I did something wrong, I caused harm. What do I need to admit? that we assess it, what harm have I caused? We apologize, who do I owe an apology to? We atone for it, can I make amends, how? If not, what can I do to stop further harm and damage? Adjust your behavior. What lesson can I learn from this? How will I change my future behavior? And then accept forgiveness. Will I accept God's forgiveness? Will I ask for forgiveness from the other person? Will I forgive myself? This is often the one that we struggle with the most, forgiving ourselves. In the context of Hebrews, the problems in the next verse though, verse three, but those sacrifices are an annual reminder of sins. It is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. The problem of the Old Testament sacrifices were that they had to be done every year, Kentucky Derby. They had to come around every single year. This was the problem. And the preacher's going to quote here Jesus, and then he's going to quote the Holy Spirit, top two draft picks. Going to quote them both. He quotes Jesus by first quoting Jesus' words from Psalm 40. Now, if we read the Gospels, we don't see Jesus quoting Psalm 40. So you can talk in your small group, well, how did the author know that Jesus quoted Psalm 40? I'll let y'all figure that out. But he quotes Psalm 40. 
Verse 6, sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but my ears you have opened, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not require. Then I said, here I am, I have come, it is written about me in the scroll. I desire to do your will, my God. Your law is within my heart. The writer said that he set aside the first in order to establish the second. In context, he's referring to setting aside the Old Testament, the sacrificing of the blood of bulls and goats in order to establish the more perfect sacrifice, which is himself. In so doing, we have been made holy. We have been made holy according to that will. This is verses 8 through 10. Now catch this. Holiness is dependent on God's will, not ours. And so what if your only aim in life, what if your only desire in life, your one true desire was to do God's will? What would you be willing to give up to walk in the center of God's will? Would you be willing to give up money? Would you be willing to give up a room in your home? Would you be willing to give up your time? The Lord of Lords and King of Kings, Jesus himself modeled this when he prayed, not my will, God, but yours be done. Verse 11, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Catch this. The second thing I want you to catch is that perfection is God's job, not yours. Perfection is God's job, not yours. Many of us sit at a desk or, or a computer to do our work. We sit down, and then when we're finished, what do we do? We, we stand up. But in history, this has not always been the case. The act of sitting down meant that you had finished your work, not that you were beginning it. He, Jesus, sat down. His work was finished. The war had been won. The victorious son is waiting now for all of his enemies, all of the manifestations of sin, disease, poverty, warfare, hunger, loneliness, anger, despair, even the final enemy of death to be made a footstool under his feet. Somebody say amen or I'm going to get Kevin to throw me in the baptistry. The writer then goes on to not only quote Jesus, but to quote the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit testifies, verse 15. And then he comes back, you remember from last week, he comes back to, to quote once again Jeremiah 31. He quoted it back in chapter 8, comes back in, in chapter 10, and, and some of us would, would be, if you were listening to this sermon from Hebrews, some of us would probably say, preacher, you already said that. Preacher, you already been there. Like, we got it. 
I think this is important for us to pay attention to. There's a reason that he's, he's coming back. There's a reason that he's, this is the climax and the, the heartbeat of the sermon within the sermon. He's established the new covenant, a covenant where God says, verse 16, I will put my laws in their hearts and write them on their minds. And then verse 17, he adds this. Their sins and lawless acts I'll remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. Here's the final point today. Is that forgiveness is complete in Christ. Forgiveness is complete in Christ. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. In Jesus Christ, I tell you, you are forgiven. If you do not receive the communion elements this morning on the way in, I'm going to ask you if you'll just put your hand up and we'll make sure that those are brought to you. Frank, if you don't mind grabbing these on this side and got some going on this side as well. time when Jesus spoke most strikingly about the new covenant through which sins would be forgiven by the shedding of his blood was at the final meal that he shared with his disciples, the last supper, which he commanded his followers to repeat in remembrance of him. And ever since this meal has had an enormous impact on Jesus' followers, it's one of the reasons today that I wanted to move us toward this space, to move us toward, toward this time, this sacred time where we take the bread and the cup. The Hebrew writer has, has really come to the, the theological climax of the sermon within the sermon, these, these few chapters. And everything that he's been proclaiming since chapter seven now comes to this laser focus because of the ministry of our great high priest, Jesus, who is holy, who is blameless, who is undefiled. The curtain of the holy of holies has been parted, it's been torn. The way to the living God has now been opened. You don't need a preacher, you don't need a priest, you don't need an elder, you don't need a shepherd. It's been opened. It's been opened. And so you can approach with confidence because the merciful voice of God announces, I will remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. I tell you, in the name of Jesus Christ, you are forgiven. The sacrifice of Jesus was a single moment in history which accomplished forgiveness and is not to be repeated. Christianity is not a religion that imagines itself going round and round in a circle, coming back to the same point. It, it is not a religious system like that at all. It's about these events that moves forward from a beginning 
to a development, to a climax, to the results of that climax, that part of being a Christian is about knowing where you are in that story and to celebrate what it means. That God's dealing with our sins and establishing his new covenant with us has been achieved once and for all. If you will hold the bread and the cup as we pray this morning. Father, in the eating of this bread and the drinking of this cup, we proclaim our belief in the once for all sacrifice for our sin. The body of Christ given for us, the blood of Christ shed for us. And we receive this in the name of Jesus. Amen. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ shed for you. I want to spend just a moment in meditation. And Nick, I'm going to ask you if you'll put up back Hebrews 10, verse 17. I want us to just take a moment and sit with these words. And he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. invite the praise team to be making their way back up and we're going to sing a song how deep the father's love for us how vast beyond all measure we're going to pray and then as we sing this song there'll be a shepherd down front there'll be a shepherd and spouse back here in the the chapel over here to my right if you'd like a more private setting today is the day that you want to name jesus as lord be baptized into him. We'd love to celebrate that with you. You can come down front. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for this reminder today that our lawless deeds and our sins you remember no more. Father, we know that we carry a lot of the weight of things that we have done in our past. We carry guilt, we carry shame, we carry 
these things. I pray that if those are being carried today, that we will be reminded. We'll be reminded of your love. And how great is the love that you have lavished upon us that you would call us sons and daughters. And I know as a dad, I, I don't, even though I discipline my children, I, I don't want to continue to hold things over them. I don't want to continue to punish them. I don't want to continue to, to keep them down. And Father, you're even a more, much more perfect father than I am. And your desire is for us to be in union with you, to be united with you. And in your love, you gave us a way, the most perfect way, by sending your one and your only son, who did not just stay in a tomb, but got up out of that tomb. And the resurrected life that he experienced is the resurrection that we're invited into, that the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives inside of us. And for that, we are eternally grateful. So we pray as we sing this song that we are reminded of the love that you have for us. And in so doing, we show that love to others. It's in Jesus we pray, amen. Let's stand.